So that is way too accurate, isn't it, really? I mean, it's, it's, it really is. Uh, relationships, we know, can be complicated. Uh, it takes us a while to figure that out and to go through it, but whatever kind of relationship that is, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It could be a relationship at work. It could be a relationship at school. It could be between friends, or, or it could be romantically. But relationships do tend to be a little complicated. We've been talking for the month of February. Great time to talk about it relationships. We've been talking specifically <clears throat> about catastrophic relationships. That is, those relationships that may begin well, but at some point end in some sort of catastrophe. Now, the idea is not to just point your catastrophes out and say to all of us, aha, we caught you. No, the idea is, how do we prevent <clears throat> catastrophic relationships in the first place? Can they be prevented? If so, how? What do we do? What's it take? What is necessary? We talked the first week about the fact that, that, that these relationships are complicated and it's not as easy as we think. And when we're young, we just we have this idea that these romantic relationships or relationships in general are just so easy. And then we get into school and we find out it's not so easy because somebody's the classmate, little cla even in kindergarten, right? Little classmates can't get along because I want to play with this and you want to play with the same toy. And how do we deal with that? And then later on, we get into the boyfriend-girl thing, friend thing. You know, the I like you, do you like me kind of thing. And, and then it begins to get complicated. And do we get a Valentine's gift or not? Oh, wow. You know, how do we go through that? When's the right age for all that? It really gets complicated. And then we get into the teenage years. And relationships even get more complicated because, my goodness, how do we deal with everything in social media? Can I just say to the teenagers, I just want to shout out to them. I'm, I'm just shout out to you that you can survive. I am so glad I did not date during the social media age, right? Because, wow, everything is so amped up and so out there. And <clears throat> I don't know if I'd have ever made it. I really don't. And, <clears throat> and then, of course, you know, you get to that marital stage. And, and you know, we're supposed to get married and live happily ever after. <clears throat> I love marriage. I, I did a wedding last night up in Georgia <clears throat> and um, had a great time. And, and uh, you know, they rode off into the sunset to live happily ever after. LOL. <clears throat> anyway... They are really complicated. And then we talked last week about something very important, and that is how the inner and outer can connect. If we can ever connect the outer beauty, the outer attractiveness, the outerness of life with the inward heart, it's a game changer. Because if we can figure out <clears throat> that the truth is, if we can really rely upon the truth and build upon the truth that beauty from the inside radiates outwardly, it changes everything. Not so easy. Well, we got two more weeks left. Today and one more week in this series. And so I want to lay down ground rules for the next two weeks, okay? So just so you know, because of where we're going, I need to lay down a couple of ground rules. <clears throat> and you got to play by the rules. Rule number one, you cannot punch the person or elbow the person beside you. Okay, that's rule number one. Don't do that. Don't elbow the person next to you and say, are you listening? That is never going to end well, so you can't do that, all right? This is for each one of us. We've got to work on who? Me. I've got to work on me. If I can work on me, then everything will be fine with thee. I mean, I just kind of really believe that. So no punching. Second, a little more serious, you've got to look at this from a future perspective and not from a past You've you got to be careful because if you're not careful in, the, in what we're talking about the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, you may be tempted to think 
well, we already blew that. I'm, I've already blown that. It's, it's too late. I, I'm, I'm already past that in a relationship. I, I, I'll never have that. I don't know what's your past, but you've got to begin to look at this from a future perspective, right? You've got to say, okay, what can I do starting now? Amen. What can we do starting right now? You can't undo the past, but you can prepare for the days ahead. So that's the ground rules next two weeks, all right? We're going to be talking today about the fact <clears throat> that love and relationships is risky. There is a risk to love. There is a risk to any relationship. As we move into relationships, we know that there are risks that have to be taken. Why? Because at some point, you're going to have to put yourself out there, right? You're going to have to just kind of put yourself out there in a place of vulnerability, and you may or may not like the result. Uh, Chip gave me permission to share this. He told me this a long time ago. I actually married Chip and Leanne, his wife, uh, 13 years ago now. And I've known them for a long time, but long before they came to the orchard. And, and so Chip is pretty honest. So he, he told me about this experience with Leanne. And he, I asked him if I could share it. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. So it seems that Chip was down in South Florida playing ball on a baseball scholarship. <clears throat> and... Um, and, and, and as he was away, for, he, he was away, he didn't have any, he was not in a relationship. And, and the hurricane came through, shut down the campus for like three weeks. It was down in Clearwater, right? So he's home for three weeks, which he says he likes to say is God's way of, take, of putting him and Leanne together and letting them have a time of relationship building, and that was a good time. So he said at the end of this three-week period, he had seen her a lot. Of course, they had dated before then, and he had gotten up the nerve. I wish you could hear him tell it. He'd got, I should have put it on video. He'd gotten up the nerve to finally give the thought to Leanne that we all risk saying it sometime. I love you. That's the big word. Now, I understand that it's thrown around a little more easily today than it used to be, but to him, that was a pretty big deal. Finally, on the last night that they would be together before he'd go back to school, he said he looked Leanne in the eyes as he had taken her home and was about to say goodnight. He looked at her and he said, Leanne, I just got to say this. I want you to know. He said, I love you. And she said, thank you. <laughs> thank you? Really? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, and, and he just dies telling the story. He's like, I put myself out there, and all she could say was, thank you, you know. Later, she explained to him, to her credit, that she had been in other relationships, and she didn't want to say, I love you, to the next man until she really knew that she meant it. And understood, she understood the deep, the deep depth, the deep commitment of those three words, and she didn't want to say it lightly. So to her credit, it was a good thing. But for poor Chip, it was tough. Put yourself out there. It is a risk, isn't it? It is a risk. Some of you guys remember when you asked your bride about marriage, and it's risky. I recall that it wasn't much of a risk when I asked Beth to marry me because we'd been dating for so long. It kind of got to be assumed, but the risk for me was going to talk to her dad. How many know that is not a fun thing? <clears throat> Did any of you men have to do that? Anybody do that? Uh, two, three? Are you serious? Man, I had to go talk to her dad, and I had to ask her dad, and it was risky because when I walked in, her dad had a gun on the table and was watching a Western. <laughs> it's risky. Sometimes complicated relationships 
move to become risky. But I want to suggest today that relationships are worth the risk. It really is worth the risk. Taking the risk to love is a good thing. Even though it's risky, it's a good thing. Now, you know we've been studying and using as our guide a book in the Old Testament, an ancient love song, really, called the Song of Songs. Now, you may know it better as the Song of Solomon because some translations of the Bible say Song of Solomon, some say Song of Songs. And so the guys were, we were talking about, so which are we going to use? And I said, well, the version we use calls it the Song of Songs. But more importantly, the Hebrew Bible, the, 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 where this actually comes from, the Hebrew Scripture, the name of it is the Song of the Songs. It's called that because it's written by Solomon, King Solomon, and he had written over a thousand songs. That's a lot of songs. Over a thousand songs, and he named this one. He said about this one, this is the Song of the Songs. This is the, of all the songs I've written, this is the Song of Songs. And it's a beautiful love story. It's a beautiful love song, kind of like a, a, a Tim McGraw Faith Hill song. We've talked about that where one is singing to the other and they go back and forth and it goes back and forth. And every now and then there's some backup singers that come in. They see these young women, these almost like bridesmaids to, to this future bride. And it's an incredible book. And can I just tell you all, <clears throat> I, I got to tell you honestly, it's not a particularly easy book to stand up and talk about in front of you guys. As a matter of fact, this book gets a little dicey. Now, we're only, frankly, going through chapter 2. We're going to finish up. We're going to be in chapter 2 today, and we're going to finish up in chapter three, 2 next week. But I'm going to tell you what. You might want to read, guys, chapter 3 and follow it. It gets a little steamy. I'm telling you, the verses you're going to find, the Bible verses you're going to find in chapters 3 and following are not going to be knitted onto your grandmother's pillow, right? <clears throat> you're not going to weave them together, frame them, and put them on the wall, I'm pretty sure. But they are very, very important. Why? <clears throat> because to me, God allows this, this book into our canon of scriptures and I think, if for no other reason, to affirm that love is an important virtue. Because God is love. It's not just, his, it's not just that God does love. He is love. <clears throat> and so all of these relationship thoughts, all of these thoughts about loving are very, very important. It is a good thing. This idea of relationships is important for all of us. So... I want to just read it to you, <clears throat> this portion, and then uh, we'll talk about it a little bit and hopefully draw some principles that will help us navigate this risky part of love. All right? So I'm in chapter 2. I want to begin reading with verse number 10. All right? Verse number 10, and we'll read through, down through verse number 17, the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so here's how it goes. It says, my love calls to me. Now, remember this is man, woman. This is um, Solomon and the Shulamite woman. In this particular case, I put that in green because I want you to see that this is the woman who says, the woman says, my love is calling to me. And then beginning at the next part in the, ver in the white, <clears throat> he responds, okay? So Faith Hill says, my love calls to me, and Tim's fixing to sing a little bit of a song here, okay? Now watch what it says. He says, arise my darling come away arise some versions say it arise my love does that sound familiar that's really cool 
There's a song by New Song. Have you all heard that song? Arise, my love. Arise, my love. It's an incredible song. It comes from this. They got the idea from this. So he says, arise, my love. Arise, my darling, he says. Now watch. Come away, my beautiful one. For now the winter is past. The rain has ended and gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come. And the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my love, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. And then the woman replies, she cuts in, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards are in bloom. My love is mine, and I am his. Can I read that one more time? My love is mine, and I am his. I love that verse. I love that verse so much. In one of the versions, it says, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I love that so much that Beth and I got rings. I, when I was in Israel years ago, I got a ring for her and I carved it out. They car, had it carved out in Hebrew I am my beloved. I am his and he is mine. What a beautiful, beautiful song, right? And then she says, I am his. He feeds among the lilies until the day breaks, until the shadows flee. Turn around, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the divided mountain. Now, you're saying, okay, that sounds like a Hallmark card to me. Well, it's kind of similar. It is indeed poetry. I think there's some important points that we can pull from this. I think there's some important principles that we can draw, okay? I'm not going to exegete it as we might a New Testament passage, but I do want to take the allegory, the thought here, and see if we can't draw some principles here about relationships because clearly this couple has a strong relationship. And as far as we can tell from the writing, it's a healthy relationship, right? We said in the beginning, it's okay to be attracted. There's nothing wrong with being attractive nor being attracted to our partner. The problem is when we obsess with that and it becomes a God. And when we make a relationship our God and we serve the relationship, then things get skewed. But for now, what does he say in these verses that can help us? Well, I want to go back to that verse that I stopped there on. I am my beloved. I think here's a real key here. I am my beloved. I am my loves. And he is mine. Now, there's some power in that little phrase, right? I'll tell you why it caught my attention and why I wanted to carve out that ring for Beth. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a commitment, a level of commitment there that I sense in the passage, don't you? There's an exclusivity about that. I'm his and he's mine. There are no others. It's just me and him. That's what she's saying. And he and me. I think here's a big, big principle we need to draw from this passage. To, and then we'll go back and look at it. Think about it a minute. Commitment is the key. To meaningful relationships. Commitment is the key to meaningful relationships. Now, he has spent time and she has spent time talking in this passage about their great attraction, the attractiveness of their outward bodies, right? But he's also talked about the attractiveness of the inward person of the heart. And now he goes a step further. He's taking it a step further by saying, 
we're going to commit. And she describes it in this way. I am his and he is mine exclusively. No one else. What's that talking about? That's talking about a deep-seated commitment. How many know that commitment is a key to any relationship? And, and that doesn't have to be just romantic, although it does fit that description. It goes beyond a romantic relationship. It could be into any kind of relationship. Toby mentioned a little earlier, I'm glad he did, about groups, small groups. And being a part of a small group. And, and, it, and, and he made the comment, you ought to all get into a small group. Now, here's what I've discovered about small groups. I found that many people love to have the relationship that's found in a small group. Now, I do believe that you can learn in a small group really better. I, I always like to say that, it, that we can learn better in circles than in rows because we can talk it through, we can study it carefully. They're good places for learning. But I'll tell you what I've learned about groups. The real draw to groups beyond the learning together and even the praying together is the doing life together. It's being in relationship, having a relationship with people. Because people come in all the time and say to me, how do I get connected? That's our word. That's our catchphrase. How do I get connected? And what they're saying is, how can I get into a relationship? But here's what I've noticed about groups and getting connected. You know what the key is? Commitment. You've you got to have a commitment. Here's what I've discovered about groups. Some people say, I want to be a part of a group, but they're not willing to commit to that group and if you can't commit you're never going to have the relationship why commitment is a key for many reasons now that's not the subject so I don't want to dwell there I just want to show you commitment is a key that's also a key in a romantic relationship because here's what I've discovered I've discovered as we're watching over the many years that what people lack today in relationships is any kind of a commitment you know, it's just kind of hop from one relationship to the other. <clears throat> and, you know, we hop here to this relationship, and we enjoy it for a while, and then when we get tired of it, we hop to another, and we stay for a while and until we hop to another, and, and we keep that process, and we keep that moving until finally we're too old, too old to hop, I guess. But, um, you know, we just move that. We're missing something. What's missing in that relationship? The need. Or a commitment. Commitment is tough, but it's a key to relationship. Now, listen to me carefully. You're in a romantic relationship today. I'm telling you, you need to consider your level of commitment. Is he yours? Is she yours? I am my beloved's, and he is mine. There's an exclusivity about that. You know, there's a lot of things changed about marriage and weddings, isn't there? Have you all been, been to a wedding lately? I was telling someone the other night, I do quite a few weddings still, not as many as I used to since we have two other pastors involved, but I, I still do a lot of weddings. And I was telling someone last night, I can't remember the last time I did a wedding in a church. You know, used to, you got married, you had a wedding, you went to a church. Even if you wasn't a Christian, you went to a church or a chapel. Even if you're out there in Vegas, there's chapels, right? I mean, you just used to go to a church. Now there's, there's wedding venues, and, and you have all these venues all over the place, and they're really beautiful, by the way, and just incredibly nice, and I love them. Um, uh, there's a lot changed. But one thing has not changed, at least in my ceremonies. And I'll tell the couple this up front. I'll, I'll start usually by saying to the couple, now, this is your wedding and not mine. I, I, I'm open to a whole lot of what you want to describe and do in your wedding ceremony if you want to do this or if you don't want to do that. I said, there's a couple of requirements. One is that I am going to use the word love. 
Now, I do that because I remember one couple asking me one time if I'd married them and said, the only thing we ask you, Pastor, is do not use the word love. I'm like, I'm not sure I can do that, and I'm not sure why I would do that, but anyway. And I said, the second thing is, I said, I want in some kind of an essence the traditional vows of commitment. You know that vow that says, I will love and honor you from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poorer in sickness and in hell, to love and to honor. I'll be faithful to you in all things and forsaking all others. Keep myself only to you so long as we both shall live. Now, you might think that's a little archaic. I think that's the key to a relationship, a deep-seated commitment. But, now I've already hinted at this, and so let me go ahead and say it. We need to understand that while we all would agree that that's true, why don't we do it more? It's because commitment is risky, right? Making a commitment doesn't come without risk, i.e. Chip and Leanne, right? I mean, you're going to take a risk if you're going to enter into this commitment. And, and you go beyond that. When you make a commitment to someone, whether it's a romantic relationship or a, a, a different kind of friendship or, or a group relationship or whatever it might be, whether it's a relationship in a church family, whatever kind of relationship, when making a commitment does not come without risk. Why? Because I'm risking several things. First of all, I'm risking rejection, Right? Now, it was a long, 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 long time ago, but I can recall when I first approached Beth about the idea that I liked her and do you like me. Now, we were too young for me to ask her out on a date. I couldn't drive. We were way too young for that. But just that initial approach, you know, to is she interested in me I mean, and I'm interested in you, I can remember so well the risk I knew there was a chance I'd be rejected. None of us like to be rejected. You know what? That risk is not only cute when we're a middle schooler like I was. It's also important because in high school, the relationships get deeper. And there are greater risks. And among them are rejection. As we grow older, we despise rejection even more. And can I say even to those of us in the room who are married, that even after we're married, there's a risk to commitment, and that risk could be rejection. There's, there's a risk that even after we're married, we are rejected in, every, in, in several areas of life we could think about. There, there's also this risk of hurt, isn't there? Anytime you get into a relationship with someone and you're into a deep enough relationship that you're making a commitment to it, there's a risk that that person's going to hurt you. Come on now. Can I get an amen there? Think with me. You're telling me you've been in relationships, deep relationships, and you haven't been hurt? Well, can every kind of relationship. You can get hurt in a small group. You can get hurt on a one-on-one relationship. You can get hurt in a church relationship. Can I just say, you can be committed to the church. I don't know why I'm off on this today. Maybe somebody just needs it. It's not really in my notes, but it's true. Somebody says to me, well, I'm not, said to me recently, well, I'm through with church because I was in church and I was committed to church and I got hurt. Somebody did this or somebody did that and hurt my feelings or, or hurt me in whatever way. And you know my response to that is? And I say this as lovingly as I know how to say it. If I dropped out of church every time somebody hurt me, I'd have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> Can I just be honest? 
I'm just telling you. I, now, you know, you might want to think of this, that I think of this as a utopia or the perfect experience. I don't think that at all. Because, you see, we are really simply a hospital for hurt people. And how many know that hurt people do hurt people? So we have to understand that. Don't, don't be shocked by that. I went to church and I got hurt. I got rejected or I got hurt. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. That, that's not my focus. That's not my goal. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the Lord Jesus and I'm looking at this church as his bride. And it's not perfect. Not yet. But he's working on us. There's the problem of hurt. Sometimes it can hurt. There's rejection. It does not come without a risk. Because here's the thing. The person whom we love and are committing to is not perfect. But can I remind you something? In case you're thinking, well, Pastor Eddie, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's worth it. Hold, hold on. Can I remind you that if we are, we are challenged, we are commissioned to have the love of Christ in our hearts, and that we are to love others as he loved us. And have you ever thought about, I, I, I know he's sovereign God and there's no risk in the fact, but can I use this, this expression? In a sense, he took a risk on me. Amen. You know, when he died, he died for sinners. In fact, the scripture says that he died for me, for you. He died for us when we were yet sinners, when we were enemies Hallelujah. of Christ. He died for us. A, 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 a philosopher of old called Kierkegaard wrote a wonderful little allegory. I want to show it to you if I could. Just a little video. It'll be, it'll be, it's short, but it has a great point to make in this whole risk thing. It's called The King and the Maiden. Watch this. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his very kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage, with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she was a humble maiden, and to let shared love cross over the gulf between them. For it is only in love that the unequal can be made equal. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend. He clothed himself as a common man and approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loosely about him. It was not just a disguise. 
the king took on a whole new identity. He renounced the throne to declare his love and to win mine. Wow. Every allegory falls short at some point, but Kierkegaard had a good point for us. Because Philippians 2 says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be God, equal with God, but humbled himself, became a man, took on flesh, and humbled himself <clears throat> so that he could go to a cross and die on our behalf. Wow. You see, here's the thing <clears throat> that I think we need to see. Solomon's story, Solomon's love story is about his love for a Shulamite woman and her love for him. But in a deeper sense, I have to believe, too, that it's a reminder of the love relationship between God and man. That God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That God would step down out of heaven like a king, step out, humble himself as a man to secure a relationship with his bride. What a story. What a commitment. What a sense of commitment. You think you've got a lot, something in line with your commitment. Think of the deep commitment as Christ hangs on a cross, bearing the weight of the sin of the world. So that we could know him. We could be his bride and live in heaven forever. Amen. And by the way, just to prove that he is who he said he is, three days after his death, he arose from the tomb. And as he rose, he was reminded, I'm reminded that he said, if I live, you will live also. Amen. That gives us hope. So maybe the commitment we need to think about today is his commitment to us. And watch this. What is my commitment to him? Yeah, I want you to think about your commitment to your, your spouse or, or your friend or your group or your church or whatever that relationship. But more than that, I want to ask you, what is your relationship? What is your commitment to Christ? Are you ready to commit him. Are you ready to commit your life to Him? And quit just dilly-dallying around and quit just playing in the religion thing and, and just quit playing with church stuff and just really make a commitment of my life to Him. Forty-three and a half years ago, I stood on a platform like this and I committed to my wife that my life it's hers. She was mine and I was hers. And years before that, I made even a deeper commitment. When I looked to Jesus and understood his great love for me, and I committed to him, my life, O oh Lord, is yours. You're mine, and I'm yours. And as simple as it may sound, I'm convinced that's why I'm here before you today. Because my life is his. And whatever he chooses, I'm ready to follow. It may be risky, <laughs> may be tough, may be an opportunity for hurt, but I'm his. He is mine. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed.
every eye closed. What's your level of commitment today? Maybe you're here this morning and you know what? Maybe maybe you tried the commitment thing and it came back and bit you. You tried to be committed and it just got the door just got slammed in your face. Could I suggest today that commitment really is worth the risk. And why not be willing and ready to enter into a relationship again? Maybe you're here today and you've wondered, should I enter into this relationship? Should I commit myself to this person, to this group? Is it really worth it? What if I'm hurt again? Can't make any promises that you won't be, but I can tell you it's worth the risk. The key is to make your commitment first and foremost to Christ and be ready to follow Him wherever He leads you, wherever He draws you. The key is to realize first and foremost with him, I am my beloved's. He's mine. I am the Lord's. I am who he said I am, we sing. I'm his. He's mine. Then we can be empowered and enabled to extend that relationship and commitment to a person. Commitment is the key to lasting and meaningful relationships. It is risky, but it's worth the risk. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts this morning, touch our lives. And that, God, you would speak into our hearts the truth you need us to hear about commitment. I pray in Jesus' sweet and precious name. Amen.